0: The prophet Isaiah has long been called by the church the fifth gospel. And the reason for this is the way that Isaiah teaches us about Christ alongside our four New Testament gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What I'd like to do is start out by giving you a quick overview of some of the prophecies of Isaiah about the Messiah. If you're taking notes, you might write these down and go back to them later on to meditate them, meditate on them more in depth. In chapter 9, Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will be a king. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In chapter 35, Isaiah says that the Messiah will heal and restore the broken. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for joy. Then in chapter 42, we hear that the Messiah will be filled with the Spirit so that he may give his salvation to all nations. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And then, in chapter 53, Isaiah predicts the Messiah's sufferings. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then, of course, to back up, there's also our passage for today, the final Sunday of Advent. Here in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah prophesies the Messiah's birth. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This, again, is in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the many prophecies that Jesus came to fulfill. So this is a fitting title for Isaiah, the fifth gospel, because Isaiah anticipates the fully redemptive kingship of Jesus Christ. Now our passage this morning, Isaiah 7, is a passage about faith in God as our king. The real king over the world. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll open it to Isaiah chapter 7. And in the middle of this passage, verse 9, we have one of the most important statements on the meaning of faith in all the Bible. Let me read this one to you again. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. What does it mean to have faith in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ? I think the most common way of thinking about faith is to give mental assent to something, some idea or belief. To say, I I believe that. But in this situation, as we're going to see more, God is speaking to a king who's in danger. He has people coming against him from all sides, and he says to this king, if you do not act firmly in faith, if you do not trust me, you're going to be like a leaf in the wind. In other words, your life and your kingdom are going to fall apart. You see, faith is not just something that we give assent to. Faith is something that actually makes us strong. It gives us a foundation to stand on in the world where everything seems slippery. And so not to have faith is to become fragile. We actually can go from place to place and not have anywhere to really stand. Faith in this case is not merely mental assent, it's acting in a particular way. It's banking your life on the most sure thing in the world, God. Especially in situations where that doesn't seem to make much sense. So what does it mean to really have faith in God? Well, this passage tells us that faith is believing that God is king. This is what we're going to explore this morning. Believing That God is king and here's how we're going to handle this passage first I'm going to spend some time unpacking this whole situation with King Ahaz it's going to take some time but this is important okay King Ahaz becomes here a notorious negative example of faith throughout the Bible King Ahaz is an example of here's what not to do when it comes to God He lacks faith in God as king. The Bible's telling us, don't be like King Ahaz. So first I'm going to talk about Ahaz's situation, and then we're going to come around and see how this speaks to us as we look forward to Christ's coming at Christmas and his second coming when he fully assumes his throne as king over the world. So here we go. Ahaz is the king of Judah, And Judah's capital city is Jerusalem. Ahaz occupies the throne of David. But David's throne, this is really important, David's throne is essentially God's throne. This is how it worked in Israel. God reigned through people, and he especially promised to reign through David's family. So all other kings were basically frauds. If you weren't related to David, if you weren't reigning from Jerusalem, you were a fraud king you're not legitimate. If you want to be a true king, you need to be related to David and you need to reign from Jerusalem. Read the best stories that our world has ever produced and there's usually a good ideal king, King Arthur, Aragorn, and there is a special place from which these kings must rule. So Ahaz is a special inheritor of this promise that God would reign through him. This is why a couple different times in our passage, it's verses 2 and 13 if you're paying close attention to the passage Isaiah 7, Ahaz in these places is referred to as the house of David. You see, this whole situation, it's not about one person, it's not about Ahaz, it's about something bigger than Ahaz that he represents, a promise that God has made to the house of David. Now this is unusual for us. But the point is, Ahaz represents something bigger than just him. He represents this very important reality of God being king in Jerusalem and reigning through a human being. But, there are some shady politics going on that do not look bright for Ahaz. Israel, Judah's big brother to the north, has allied with Syria and they want Judah to join them so that all of them together can rival the growing superpower of Assyria. Now there's a test on this next week, so you need to pay careful attention, take good notes. <laughs> Israel and Syria are trying, to al- are trying to ally together. They want Judah to ally with them. Now, if Ahaz doesn't join them, They're just going to take him out and put up a puppet king on the throne who will. So here's verse 7. This is telling us their strategy. Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Tabiel is going to be their puppet king in place of Ahaz. Now we heard how Ahaz reacted to this news when he heard that Israel and Syria are conspiring against him. Here's verse 2 again of this passage. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Ahaz is terrified. But what does God say to Ahaz? He sends Isaiah to speak to him and to tell him this. This is verse 4. And by the way, this is a beautiful passage to underline and to reflect on more deeply, especially when you're facing a fearful situation in your own life. Listen to verse 4. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, God says. Do you know how we are when fear strikes us? We get angsty and we need to do something immediately, right? God says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Ahaz is terrified of these enemies, but God tells him, don't do anything rash. Be quiet and don't fear. And then God essentially mocks the enemies as much smaller than they look. And then verse seven, God goes a step further. He assures Ahaz, this is not going to take place. They will not conquer you. It will not happen. Now, how can Ahaz be sure of this? Well, the reason God gives sounds pretty strange to our ears. He talks about these other nations. He talks about their main cities, and he talks about their leaders. Okay, this is the logic. The nation, their city, and their leaders. So he talks about Syria. Syria's leader is Damascus. That's their main city. And then, the leader of Damascus is Rezin. What in the world does this mean? It does not make sense until you remember who Ahaz represents. So think about these nations, these cities, and these leaders. Now think about Ahaz, his nation, his city, and who leads over it. Judah dwells in Jerusalem. Who is king in Jerusalem? God is. God reigns through a human that he has put on the throne to represent him. God is again trying to tell Ahaz, listen Ahaz, you're fearful, but this really isn't about you. It's about me. If Ahaz will listen to God, he has nothing to fear from these other nations. Nothing. And then God even offers to Ahaz a sign of his intention to be faithful. Ask me anything, God says. Uh, Just an aside, listen, if God offers you a sign, just take it, okay? Take it. Say, okay, God, I'm going to shoot for the moon here. It it literally says, God says, ask for something as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. One translation says, ask me for a miracle. That's what God's saying. Ask me for anything. Ahaz refuses to ask, and his reason sounds pious. I don't want to test you, God, but it's actually hypocrisy. Behind his piety is a lack of reverence for God. Ahaz has no intention of trusting God, so he's not even going to ask him. Here is God trying to help, and Ahaz refuses his help. Now, just one more piece here. God promises him a sign anyway. But the sign indicates a judgment for Ahaz. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's partly because of Ahaz's cowardice that Jerusalem will indeed be conquered. The throne of David will be temporarily toppled. But this sign the sign that God gives is the assurance that He's going to send another king who will assume the throne and He will truly represent God. So, what does all of this have to do with us and the coming of Christ at Christmas? Ahaz made his choices based in fear, not based in faith in God as the true king. God told Ahaz, Do not fear. Now it is no coincidence that in our gospel passage, Matthew chapter 1, these are the same words the angel speaks to Joseph. During his engagement to Mary, Mary has become pregnant and Joseph knows full well the child is not his. He wants to do the right thing by Mary. You see, in Jewish culture, she could have been killed for adultery. Joseph wishes to divorce her quietly. Perhaps there is still time and she can be joined to the Father. Joseph is not a cruel man. But as he's processing this, he has a dream. An angel comes to him and says, Joseph, Son of David. Remember how important the family of David is to God's plan here. The angel says to Joseph, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph responds better than Ahaz. (laughs) He surrenders in faith to God as king to the sign of Emmanuel and later in the Gospels when Jesus has been crucified the women arrive at his tomb and his body appears to have been stolen they're full of grief but the angels appear once again at the end of this story and they speak to them the same words do not fear Christ comes among them soon after this and repeats the words do not be afraid Christ has come into a world that is beset by fear. We live in fear of our safety, fear of each other, fear of the future. But Christ came to cast out our fear and to assure us of His faithful love. If you are a person who is joined to Christ, who is putting your feet on Christ, you're you're based in faith in Him, then you're joined to the family of David. You have the promises that Ahaz had. I'll be faithful to you. God is your king, and He's promised us of His return, so that we will not live out our lives in fear. Now, before we close, I'd like to speak to two areas of life in which we're often tempted to live in fear and in both of these Christ speaks to us now the first one I'm not eager to talk about but the story of Ahaz makes it all the more important the first area of life where we are often tempted with fear is in our political lives There is always someone or some group vying for power they don't have, seeking to put another down. And fear often tempts us to seek a politically expedient way to get things we want rather than entrusting ourselves fully to God. Christ came into a world of corrupt kings and authorities to displace them and to be worshipped by us as the true king. Now, You know, this is not a fun thing to talk about during Christmas. But it must be spoken about. Because you know where Luke places the story of Christmas? In the context of very corrupt political authorities. There's a need for a true king. One who will will rule righteously. With love, with mercy, and with firmness. And this is where the Christ arrives. This is the world that the Christ arrives into. None of what I'm saying is to say that the politics of our day don't matter. They do. And even though no human is perfect, we still must hold our politicians to a different standard than the world does. And Christians, we must always ask ourselves as we form our ideas and as we cast support to something, Am I trusting in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true king? Or am I living in fear? Even as we work out our politics, even as we go to a voting booth, we must always ask ourselves, and this doesn't mean there'll be an easy choice after we ask this question, but we must always ask ourselves, am I living in fear or in faith in Christ as my true king? This is one area where we're often tempted to live in fear. Now, the second area of life we're tempted to live in fear is our personal lives. And this is broad, intentionally broad. Joseph is the example I'm going to draw from here. Uh, No doubt, Joseph's situation with Mary is much different than any of the situations that we're facing right now, right? But there is some similarity because there are occasions in all our lives when things just become very difficult, where new challenges arise in family, in work, and in church, and these challenges create a fearful impulse in us. We're tempted to think, if we do consider God at all in these moments, we're tempted to say, this cannot be God. This cannot be what God wishes for me. So like Joseph, our immediate gut impulse is to seek a way out. To try to bail. But if we are quiet enough like Joseph, God will come to us in these moments and He will tell us, be careful. Do not fear. These enemies that you see, they're like smoldering wicks. There's no reason to be afraid of them. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joseph had decided to give in to fear in this moment? The way this would have diminished his own life. Instead, we have him before us as an example of faith, of not giving in to fear. Fear always has this way of diminishing our lives, but faith, living by faith amidst challenges, always has a way of enhancing our lives, of making them more beautiful, grace-filled than we ever imagined before, than we could have seen on our own. So again, let me go back to our opening statement about faith from Isaiah chapter 7. If you are not firm in faith, You will not be firm at all. What is faith? It is believing and acting in faith that God is king in spite of current evidence to the contrary. It is believing that our enemies are not nearly as big as we've made them out to be. Especially compared to God. Fear has this way of making our adversaries bigger than they are. It, It creates false realities. But, Those false realities can then become reality because our fears make us fragile. We end up failing before enemies that God never intended for us to fail before. Without faith in God, we become fragile and we begin to fall apart. But with faith in God, we become firm. I read this comparison this week that I thought was so wonderful. You know, God tells Ahaz that his enemies are like smoldering wicks, even though they appear so big before him. Our enemies are more like the Wizard of Oz. There's lots of smoke and bluster, but the man behind the curtain is old and feeble. Do you believe that God is king? Do you? Are you living as if God is king? Let me ask this question another way. Would your life look any different if you truly believed that God is king? Jesus Christ's arrival at Christmas is a sign in the midst of our lives and of the wor- in the world of Yahweh's faithfulness to us and to the world that he loves so much. That he can be trusted And only in Him will we find our lives to be well-grounded, to become strong. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.